0: Now, we're changing the order around a little tonight. We're going to have our message first. So if you have a Bible, please, would you turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans uh, chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and we'll read from verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Amen. And we know God will always bless the reading of his own inspired word. So tonight's a baptismal service, and uh, Uh, it's great to have Joy, Judith, and Amos going through the waters of baptism and identifying themselves with the Lord Jesus. And just uh, Romans chapter 6 is a key passage for Baptists. It's a a very instructive passage. It's one of those fundamental passages. Now, Romans 6 comes after Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. And Romans is Paul's magnum opus, his, his great work where he explains and defends the gospel. That's what he's doing in the book of Romans. He's, he's writing the gospel, and in explaining the gospel, he explains the doctrine of justification by faith. That's his great theme, justification. Now, in uh, our courts in our day, when somebody is... Find not guilty, they're found not guilty, or they're found guilty, one or the other. That's the choice. Not guilty or guilty. But in courts in the ancient world, the innocent per- person was declared justified. They were declared righteous. It wasn't just that they were not guilty, they were declared justified. Um, They were declared righteous in the presence of the court and in the presence of the people. And the word justification has to do with righteousness. It has to do with being declared righteous, being made righteous in God's sight. And so Paul introduces the book of Romans. If you go to Romans chapter 1, He states his thesis right up front, and he says in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here he's talking about justification, this being declared righteous. And he says in the gospel, a righteousness is given, or a righteousness is is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith and through faith. That by faith we are declared righteous in God's sight. It's what Martin Luther called an alien righteousness. That when you come to believe in the Lord Jesus, not only is your sin taken away and dealt with at the cross of Calvary, but his righteousness, this alien righteousness, is taken and it's credited to your account. And so God legitimately and justifiably declares you to be righteous, to be justified, to be acceptable in his sight. It's um, what the Puritans call double imputation, that when I believe in Christ, my sin is credited to him, but his righteousness is put to my account. So, Paul then goes on to show that none of us are righteous, and he, he talks about the wrath of God and in chapter 1, how God is angry with sin. God is a God of infinite holiness and infinite righteousness. He's a God who can uh, look upon sin, uh, that because of his infinite holiness, there's no such thing as a trivial sin or an insignificant sin in God's sight, that all sin is serious. And then he goes on to show that it's not only just uh, uh, Gentiles who have sinned and rebelled against God, but it's Jews that have sinned and rebelled against God. And he reaches this conclusion in Romans 3, when he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As I said a few weeks ago, if I was writing that, I would write it like this, for all have sinned and broken God's law. That would be the wickedness of it. But the tragedy of this statement is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That God made us for glory. That God made us for a relationship with Himself. That God made us to, to have an intimate relationship with Himself. To be His children, His sons and daughters. But we have fallen short. We have missed the mark we have uh, disobeyed uh, and sinned against God in thought, in uh, word, and in action, and, and we are declared guilty by by uh, by God and by Paul through the Book of Romans. Well, then, how are we to be justified? How are we to be declared righteous? Well, he goes on. And he tells us about this alien righteousness in chapters 4 and 5, that, that God gives us a righteousness in the gospel, that Christ came into the world, that he died a substitutionary death, that he uh, lived a substitutionary life so legitimately and justifiably he can declare us to be righteous. And that's the great wonder of the gospel uh, Gail likes that program, say yes to the dress. Um, can stand it myself. But anyway, sometimes I'm compelled to watch it. You know, that, that this, this, um, this girl will go with her, her mother and her friends to pick a wedding dress that will be a special dress for one particular day. But in the gospel, we are offered a special dress that's not just for one day of our lives, but is for all eternity, that we can be clothed in the righteousness of Christ and declared righteous in the sight of Almighty God. And that's by faith, by faith, by believing in the Lord Jesus, that righteousness is given to us. And that's the wonder of the gospel. I told you before when I was a little boy, uh, I was asked to do page boy at my uh, cousin's wedding. It was a very fancy, high-falutin wedding, and they had uh, an airplane uh, uh, across, flying across as we were coming out of the church with a banner behind it, uh, dropping rice on us, uh, forgetting about the momentum that the rice would pick up. We were all diving for shelter. Uh, but I was, I was a page boy, and I had this page boy suit Hanging up in my father's room, a white tuxedo, white trousers, frilly shirt, and a bow tie, and I went out to play outside with my friend, and and he came out dressed as a cowboy, and he had a hat, Stetson, and uh, a waistcoat, and sheriff's badge, uh, and a gun, and I said, "Well, you know, I have an outfit too," and he says, "What kind of outfit is that?" and I said, "Well, it's a James Bond outfit," and I, I went into my father's wardrobe and I. Took off the polythene that was over the, the tuxedo. I put on the shirt, the tuxedo, the, the dicky bow. Thankfully, it was a clip-on one, and the trousers, and I got a gun from somewhere, toy one, and uh, we went out and we jumped a few rivers. We uh, rolled in some grass. We hid in some bushes, and I came back uh, and put that uh, muddy, uh, green-stained. Uh, a suit back on the hanger. And when my father came in, he nearly killed me. And uh, bought my aunt. She took that dirty suit away, and she bought me a brand new one for the wedding. And listen, in the gospel, when you come to believe in Jesus— you trust in Jesus for the salvation of your soul what happens is that that dirty uh, those dirty rags that you wear are taken away they're dealt with at the cross but the righteousness of Jesus is taken and given to you and that's a glorious and a wonderful thing because as a believer God declares you justified he declares you righteous But then somebody comes along uh, in Paul's imagination, an imaginary heckler in Romans chapter 6, and he says this. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? He's he's saying, Well, 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 look, if, if you're saved by grace through faith, it's nothing to do with yourself. But it's by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sin, as Rasputin, the Russian monk, said. Since we're saved by grace, let's sin with gusto. Since, since salvation is all of grace, let's, let's live as we please. Let's act as we want. Let's just indulge all the sinful and uh, selfish uh, appetites that we have. And Paul says, by no means. And if you read that passage, he says two things. He says, don't you know that you have died to your old life? That the old life has been crucified. You see that in verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So he says you have died to the old life. A transformation has taken place in your heart and life, and you have died to the old life, and he has raised you to live a new life in him. Verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So that, that's the gospel. Should I continue in sin? I'm saved by faith. Should I live as I like and do as I want? No, he says, because you have died to the old life and he has raised you to live a new life in him. And then he says, and this is where the baptism comes in where was that set forth? He says, remember your baptism. Remember what you said at your baptism. Look at verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized in Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. He says we we have died to sin, we have been raised miraculously to live this new life in Him, so how can we continue to do as we please, to live as we like, and carry on as if nothing has ever happened to us? At our baptisms, we said we have died to sin, and He has raised us us to live a new life. Now, that teaches us something, well, four things. It teaches us, first of all, about the significance of baptism. That baptism is an outward demonstration of what has happened inwardly uh, in the candidate's heart. That, that a transformation has taken place. That they have died to their own life, And God, by his Spirit, has raised them to live a new life in him. And that's what's signified in baptism. It's not the only thing that's signified in baptism, because the element that's used is water. Water speaks of cleansing. Uh, We baptize into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and being baptized into the name of signifies a new relationship with, because when slaves were taken into the homes of their masters, they took their their names because they were in a new relationship with the, 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 the master. Wives t- took the names of their husbands. They were in a new relationship. And when the person's baptized, they're saying, I'm in a new relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Water, He has cleansed me from my sin, but also I have died to my old life. My old life has been buried, and he has raised me to live a a new life in him. That's the significance of baptism. Now, it is only a picture. Uh, I say that the last baptismal service, you, you notice that some of these shops that closed during COVID now display signs under new management that somebody else has taken over the shop. But behind that sign lies legal negotiations and the signing of contracts. And this is a sign. It's a sign of a, a new life in Christ. But the new life begins not with this sign, but, but when that person came and trusted in Christ as their Savior and Lord. That's the significance of baptism. Baptism tells us something about the mode of baptism. Because the element water, well, it signifies the cleansing in the name of the formula, signifies that new relationship. But that death, burial, and resurrection picture is only encapsulated in immersion. No other mode uh, captures that the way immersion does. And that's why Baptists go to the trouble of uh, having a tank or going to the sea or going to a river and baptizing somebody by immersion. Because we feel that 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 picture, and remember baptism is a picture of death, burial, and resurrection is an important element in baptism. So, the significance of baptism, the mode of, of baptism, the importance of baptism. Just notice this. Look at verse 3 again. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? There is this assumption that the, reader of this, the readers of this epistle all had been baptized, that Paul is writing to a church in Rome and that church is made up of believers, but not only of believers, people who have come to trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, but it's made up of baptized believers. Because if they weren't baptized, his argument just wouldn't make a lot of sense. It wouldn't make a lot of sense. There is this assumption that they, they are believers in the, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the importance of it. You know, there was no such thing in the early church as um, an unbaptized Christian. That, that just didn't exist. In fact, most churches recognised that. If you wanted to be a Catholic, you would have to be baptized. If you wanted to be a Presbyterian, you would have to be baptized. If you wanted to be uh, a Methodist, you would have to be baptized. Most churches recognised the importance of it because there was no such thing as an unbaptized um, church member in, in the New Testament. And the last thing I want you to notice is the challenge of baptism. What, is, what challenges come to us through baptism? Well, to Christians who haven't been baptized, you should be baptized. You know, um, God's Word tells us that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, well, we can never do that perfectly. We're to love our neighbour as ourselves. We can never fulfil that commandment perfectly, but here is one commandment that we can do: to be baptised. And every Christian, whether you believe in, in paedobaptism, infant baptism, or believer's baptism, you ought to be persuaded in your mind that you have been baptised, because there was no such thing as an unbaptized Christian in the early church. So, to Christians who have been baptized, well, I want to ask you, many of you have been baptized here already, are you living out the implications of your baptism? You have said that you have died to your old life and that he has raised you to live a new life in him. Are you living a new life in him? Are you uh, living... Uh, righteously? And uh, are you living in a way that pleases the Lord? Can people looking into your life see something different about you? Because that's what you professed at your baptism, that you've died to sin and that He has raised you to live a new life. Are you living that new life? Or is your heart deceitful and desperately wicked and uh, all kinds of lusts and angry thoughts dwell within you? Christians who haven't been baptized. The challenge to Christians who have been baptized. And lastly, to those who aren't Christians. If if you're not a Christian tonight and you've never reached that point or that place in your life where you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I, I don't want you to be leaving this place thinking, should I be baptized? That's not the question that you should ask yourself. You need to ask yourself, am I converted? Am I I a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I come to faith in Him? Am I trusting and resting in Him as the grounds of my acceptance before God? Do I believe that He has taken away my sin and given me this alien righteousness that uh, clothes me and makes me acceptable to God so much so that He declares me to be righteous? That's the question don't get all confused about the water. Ask yourself, am I a true believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? So, when these three folks come forward to be baptized, they're um, um, publicly declaring their personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask you, have you that faith, personal faith, that personal trust in Jesus Christ? Last week uh, Edwin uh, mentioned this little book to us uh, this journey of Niall Wiseman uh, Niall was a student at the Baptist College uh, he shortly after he graduated he died he was called home to the Lord left five uh, children and uh, dr. David Luke from the college has put this little glossy booklet uh, together and um, And Edwin has brought a a supply of them to the church here. And if if you're not a Christian, if you're not not a Christian, or if you're not sure you're a Christian, can I invite you just to take one of those books as booklets as you leave this evening, and um, and read it thoughtfully and prayerfully, and ask yourself, do you have the same confidence that Nye displayed in the face of death, knowing that he was going to be with the Lord? Amen.